All right, good afternoon, five o'clock. How we doing? Awesome. Hey, uh, we got a quick slide up here. Um, we have updated our branding. Doesn't it look awesome? Yeah, uh, we have an artist in-house, Matt Larson, who uh, took the lead on this and did an amazing job. And uh, really just want to let you guys know that uh, we're three years old and really put a lot of thought and intentionality to, you know, a brand's like a visual expression of your inner identity. And we're really excited that we're going to be rolling out. It's kind of perfect timing as we're going to Vineyard. Um, it was more just like look for the stuff and see that we really want to bring intentionality to every way uh, that we're worshiping and even expressing ourselves as a church. So um, we've really put a lot of thought, intentionality, time, worship, even into our visual branding, and we think it looks awesome. So um, even if you can just tell people or if you see Matt, be like, it looks awesome. So really just wanted you to know. So uh, we are excited about moving over to Vineyard, and it is the next uh, stage of our uh, progression, huh? So be praying about that. There's a lot of little details, like Sue said, that are going into that. We need your help, volunteers, and we need your prayer. So anyways, I'm going to have you all stand. I'm going to read a portion of scripture. We do this just to kind of visually symbolize that this is the most important thing uh, most pure, authoritative word that will be spoken in this place tonight. So I'm going to read a passage out of Hebrews chapter 6, and I'm going to talk tonight about hope. So it says this in Hebrews 6.13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation to the end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever. That's the word of the Lord. Oh, you're doing so good. You can sit down. So uh, we've been on a journey, talked about grace a few weeks ago, talked about joy last week. Who was here? I could tell you guys have more joy. Anyways, and then we're going to talk about hope tonight, and hope is perhaps one of my favorite things to speak about because it has played a very powerful role uh, in my life and my understanding of who God is and in really just my overall ability to engage effectively with the life that I have been given. And so I'm going to start by defining hope and trying to build a biblical understanding of what hope is and show you that we really want this thing, and then talk about how to actually cultivate it in our life so that we live lives that abound in hope. All right, I'm, if any of you have ever gotten an email from me, I, most of the time I sign them off abounding in hope. Everybody says it's cheesy and they make fun of me, but I do that intentionally because we are to be a people that abound in hope. So what is hope? Right, like most of my probably first 21 years of existence, hope was like basically glorified wishful thinking. It was like, I hope that happens. I hope I get that job. I hope that college accepts me. I hope, I hope, I hope. It was kind of wish-washy. It was positivity, optimism, but it had no power, 
right? Biblical hope has power. And the best example that I've ever heard used in, in what resonates in my life of what hope is, is that hope is the confident expectation that God's goodness is coming to you today, tomorrow, the next day. It's, it's both present and it's future. And it is a confident expectation. All right, when I was growing up, we lived in this little uh, two-story house, uh, my, my, my early elementary school childhood, so the ones that I mostly remember. And every morning, uh, every Christmas morning each year, uh, we all slept upstairs, and then we had this huge, uh, like, double lofted ceiling for the living room where the tree was. So when I woke up, I could see the top of the tree, but I could not see the bottom of the tree. I am not a morning person except for on December 25th. Suddenly I was every single year. And my brothers would wake me up and I remember vividly, we would always, same routine. We'd be at the top, I could see the top of the tree, I could hear my parents' voice and it'd be like, can we come down? Can we come down? It'd be like, wait, wait, wait. We're gonna get all the Santa stuff. He made a mess down here, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I remember like, can we come down? You need to wait. Can we come down? You need to wait. And that feeling, that emotion, that anticipation that I was experiencing at the top of those stairs, that is hope. That is what hope feels like. That is what a confident expectation of goodness feels like. I had so much hope because I believe Santa Claus was faithful. He was unfailingly faithful. It was amazing. Didn't matter if I was naughty or nice, really. He was faithful. All right, like the good news is that God is a lot more faithful and he is a lot better than Santa Claus. God, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, he's been the same. He has been a gift giver of good things. He's gifted life. He's gifted love. He's gifted intimacy. He's gifted relationship. He designed us to experience pleasure. He designed us to be fulfilled in him and pleasure. He designed us for joy. He designed us for purpose. He designed us for significance. He has just given gift after gift after gift. And then it says he's so loved us that he gave he bankrupted heaven and he gave Jesus and it says in Romans 8 32 that if he didn't withhold Jesus he will withhold nothing from you because that is the very best of heaven he bankrupted himself to give and to prove I am generous and I am good and your life is a gift from me this breath in your lungs is a gift from me so for that reason, in response to who he is, we should be the most hope-filled people in the world because hope is a Christmas morning anticipation that before our feet hit the bed, we're expecting something good is coming my way because life is a gift. Life is a gift from a good God. Life is a gift. That is what hope sees. Hope is a perspective on life that sees everything is a gift and there's goodness coming my way. Amen? It's one thing to talk about it. How are we going to live it? All right, that's what we really want to talk about tonight. How are we going to live this? How do we cultivate that type of anticipation? Because that is not a worldly anticipation. Right? How do we live in a consistent daily hope of heaven, a Christmas morning anticipation, a perspective that sees life and relationship and love and everything as a gift? Every day is a gift. Right, to understand this, we need to break down, we had to have a conversation about faith. Right, Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of hope. Right, to de-spiritualize it, it means this. What you believe in will determine your level of hope. 
What you put faith in, what you, you, you wrap your belief system around is what produces the level of hope in your life. Right? So faith is the substance of hope. Right? And in Christianity, we talk about faith a lot. And I want to build some, uh, two different characteristics of faith that can help uh, kind of have this conversation of hope tonight. Right? So I want to talk about vertical faith. Say vertical faith. Right? And I want to talk about horizontal faith. Say horizontal faith. All right, so vertical faith and, all right, so what does this mean, right? Vertical faith is relationally oriented. It is actually faith in God, right? It is faith in who God is. And ultimately, it is faith in the goodness of God, right? Moses, he's up on the mountain in Exodus. He prays this outlandish prayer. He says, God, I want to see your face. I want you to show me your glory, the splendor of who you are. Show me your glory, God replies, okay, I'll do it. Puts him in the rock and he says, I'm gonna cause all my goodness to pass before you because the glory of God is the nature of God, that God is good. He's good. He is unfailingly good and he will always be good. And so vertical faith is actually an expression of, of, of belief that I believe you are good. And worship is probably the most pure form of vertical faith. Right, when we come on a Sunday, I'm pretty sure no one here, you've ever seen him. You ever seen God? No, right? We haven't seen him. We don't know him. We're not talking to him face to face yet. Like we, we are still in the process, right? Like it is an unseen reality. This is what faith is. And yet we can actually choose that though I can't see him with my natural eyes, there's something inside of me, right? That, that I, because of what I have experienced, because of my testimony thus far, I can actually choose to express myself and sing a song like, great are you, Lord, right? That is a, that's an expression of vertical faith. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm just responding in faith. I'm putting my belief in, in, into the truth of who you say you are and who you've communicated yourself to be, right? Moses gets God's name, and what is his name? I am that I am. He's saying, I am absolutely integrous. I am exactly who I am. I am who I say I am, right? And when we express ourselves in worship, we're simply responding with conviction that I believe you are who you say you are. Okay, so there's this vertical realm of faith. Then there's horizontal faith, right? Horizontal faith, what's horizontal faith? This is more ministerial, this is more like in our lives. This is personalizing faith and it's saying, now I'm not putting my faith in who God is, I'm putting my faith in what God's going to do. Right? I'm putting my faith in this miracle's gonna happen or this is gonna change in this relationship or I'm gonna get this job or God, God's gonna provide for me in this way or God's gonna do this miracle or God's gonna get me, right? You, are you following me? Right? You're, you're believing for an expression of God what he's gonna do in your life. Right? And I'm pretty sure if you're like me, you've experienced a lot of disappointment in this room. Anybody? Believed for a miracle, didn't happen? Prayed for someone to get healed and they died? Believe God was going to provide and, you know, the finances didn't come in the way you thought would. You didn't get the job. You thought, you, you know, the thing that you thought you heard from him didn't actually, right? You follow me? Right? You believed him. You put your faith on the promises of what God was going to do and it didn't quite work out. Right? And then what happens is we get disappointed. Right? And the, the reality is, right, Jesus tells us, hey, pray like this. My kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the truth is, we've all experienced this, is we're living in the tension of the kingdom is now. It has been inaugurated. Jesus came. He is still healing. He is still bringing deliverance. He's still saving. He's still doing a work, 
right? You, most people in this room, you'd say, I'm here because God has done a work in my life that is undeniable, right? So, so the kingdom's here, but the kingdom's also not yet. And God has put us in this tension that we are to believe horizontally. We're to express our faith horizontally that God's kingdom's gonna come to a dying world, right? But in that process, in the tension of the now and the not yet, there's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of things that aren't going the way we think they should. There's a lot of circumstances that are hard and painful and difficult and conflicts and, and, and horrible things that are happening, right? In our lives and the lives around us and the life of our city and the life of our nation, there's so much brokenness and we experience disappointment. And disappointment stings. Are you following me here? So we got vertical faith, we have horizontal faith. I want to bring this distinguishment because where I see Christians getting a lot of trouble is we start believing God to do these things. It doesn't happen. Then disappointment takes root and it builds this foundation of bitterness and actually severs us. It dissipates hope and it actually camps us out in this, this, this realm of negativity. Right? When Mature, we're talking about hope tonight. The way that hope matures, what hope looks like as it grows up in our life, it's when we begin to derive it from vertical faith rather than from horizontal faith. Because if we're honest, when we become, when we're early in our faith and God's doing these things, we see God moving in all these ways, our hope comes from what God's going to do. Right? Abraham had hope when God said, hey, go and I'm gonna make you a great nation. He had hope that, man, Sarah's gonna get pregnant, the flocks are gonna multiply, the land's gonna come, everything's gonna happen just like I thought it was. Is that how it happened? No, like everything he never wanted to happen is what happened. Disappointment, 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 yet Abraham endured, right? Because in disappointment, hope is forced to be derived from a different place. And it can no longer be found from what God's doing because we don't really ever know what God's doing. <laughs> you, you, we're kind of being silly with ourselves if we think we know what God's doing. Like, I'm here preaching. That's a joke to me, you know. Like, how did I get here? The one my plan, like, God, I didn't know what God was doing. Right, we don't know what God's doing, but we always know what God is like and who God is. And so the maturity of hope is when we begin to derive it more from our vertical faith and less from our horizontal faith, right? So hope stands actually in the middle of these two expressions of faith and it's very important that it does because hope protects us from letting disappointment become a foundation of negativity and bitterness in our lives, right? And, and you know, Proverbs 13, 12, it says that, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? So I, I actually wanna talk about disappointment because I believe that disappointment is actually the tutor that teaches us how to move into true hope, right? Most of us think when we're disappointed that something went wrong. I would say, no, God is allowing disappointment because he's wanting to do something in you. He's wanting to teach you what hope is really like. He's wanting to wean you off circumstantial hope. And he's wanting to teach you what it means to have faith in the unchanging nature of who he is so that every morning of our life abounds with hope because we know he is exactly who he says he is and he's better than I think he is. And disappointment is what gives us that option because disappointment, it gives us a decision. Every time we face disappointment, it gives us a decision. And that decision has two choices. We can worship or we can whine. That's really it. Every disappointment has one decision with two options. You can worship God or you can whine about it. Right? If you whine about it, right, you become a victim 
victims are powerless. They're just, they're just, you know, you know, I, I talk to people sometimes where I actually think they're they're talking as if they think they're being victimized by God. You know, that God doesn't do it. He's not faithful to me. He wasn't faithful. He didn't fulfill his promise. He didn't do what I thought he said. He didn't do this. You know, I rubbed that bottle just the right way. I made my three wishes. It didn't happen. He is not good. Wham, wham, wham. Call a wambulance. Right? When we become a victim, our hope evaporates. We are deferring hope because we cannot hope in a God that we think we're being victimized by. And when hope defers, it makes the heart sick. And a heart sick Christian, a heart sick believer in a good God actually starts camping out and forms a, a, a belief system around disappointment. Right? And, and theology actually gets woven around. Right, We actually take the truth of the scripture of a God who is powerful and a miracle worker and transformative and working in the earth and still opening blind eyes and deaf ears and doing a great and mighty thing. And we start dumbing it down so that actually our theology supports my disappointed experience. Right? And I, there are camps of theology that are birthed, in my opinion, out of disappointment and heart-sick believers. Right, when disappointment, that's what happens if we choose to whine. Right, so we can choose to whine or we can choose to worship. And when we choose to worship, our, our faith is actually strengthened. Right, when we choose to worship God in the midst of a disappointment, we are actually severed from any circumstantial goodness. What we feel and what we see in disappointment is negative. What we feel and what we see speaks a message that God is not good. And in that place, God has actually orchestrated an opportunity for you to step into pure faith and pure worship that you can't step into anywhere else. And if you can choose, if you can step away and get in your right mind, even though it feels and it looks bad, but something in you, there is faith within you because God has deposited faith within you that you can look through it all and you can see that he is who he says he is. And if you can begin to worship in your disappointment, your faith begins to strengthen. There is a fortitude that rises up within you and you begin, it, it catalyzes in disappointment. Worship through disappointment catalyzes the journey from the head to the heart. These things we sing, great are you, Lord. It actually cooked conviction within you and that there's a song that comes out that you are who you say you are, though I cannot see. You are who you say you are. And that conviction of faith, it becomes the foundation. It becomes the soil, the garden bed through which hope begins to blossom. And there's a hope that rises up that I know I can't see it anywhere when I look out of my life. But when I look at you, all I know is that hope begins to rise and there's an expectation within me that, that goodness is coming my way. Uh, there's a perspective that begins to open that I begin to see God moving. I begin to see his hand of kindness coming towards me. I have ears to hear his whisper coming towards me that God is alive and God is moving and my life is a gift from him. Disappointment has an opportunity. It has a, it has a choice. It has a place of worship that nothing else can give to you. It's a gift. It's a gift. Right, and God starts our journey. He gives this promise to us. He knows there's going to be disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment before your fulfillment. He knows that because God wants you to know him. 
And in all those disappointments, the only way that you will find the hope you need to endure to the fulfillment of the promise is if you begin to take your eyes off your circumstances and put them onto the one. Who, you know, once you know him, you're then equipped to make him known, which is the fulfillment of the promise. But you have to know him, and he knows the only way you're gonna get through this stumbling block of disappointment is if you learn how to worship me here, and I'm gonna show you whom I am. You're gonna know me as I am. I'm gonna reveal myself. You're gonna see my goodness in a way that you've never seen my goodness. You're gonna experience my love in a way that you've never experienced my love. I'm gonna be near to you. I'm gonna comfort you. I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna come to you. It is through disappointment, worshiping in the midst of the disappointment that something takes place within a human being that we transform and God becomes known to man. I just, I wanna be real with y'all tonight. In my life, I've experienced so much rejection from people I love, people that were Christians, people that were not Christians. I've experienced deep loss, deep grief, years of grief. There were things that I believed in with all my heart that did not happen. Miracles that I banked everything in that did not come. Change that, that I was dying to see happen that did not and it killed me. I have been hurt by the church. I have been slandered. I have been falsely accused. I have been misunderstood. I have been cast out. I have been judged. I have had my privacy violated many times. I have been emotionally harassed. I, I have gone through many difficult things, but I can look at you honestly and say that in all of those things, I have chosen to worship God. I have chosen to worship God in the, perhaps the most sacred moments of my life are in the abyss of my own disappointment, pain, rejection, slander, whatever it is, when I get alone with God and something in me stirs up, I don't care what life is throwing against me. I am going to worship you because I believe I'm gonna put my faith that you are who you say you are. Because the truth is, is if he isn't who he says he is, then I don't really know that life's worth living. Because life is full of pain and it's hard and it's broken and everything is just broken. But I have to believe you are who you say you are. And what happens in me in those places is that hope begins to rise. I can tell you there is a hope that has been an anchor for my soul through disappointment after disappointment after failure after rejection after slander after whatever it's been. There is a hope that has endured and anchored my soul that I expect if hell comes raising against me, I expect expect heaven to raise up like a standard and to begin to break through in my life. I expect it. It is an emotional expectation that when I am against the wall, I know that my God will show up because I know him and he desires to be made known through my life. I expect, I expect to hear his voice. I expect greater outpourings of the miraculous. I expect open doors. I expect gifts coming my way whenever I experience disappointment because I, as I worship him in disappointment and getting an ongoing and progressive of revelation that not only is he good, he is better than I imagined, and then he is better than I imagined, and then he is better than I imagined, and then he is better than I imagined because God is who he says he is. I want to make this practical. There's a, a minister of the gospel that I heard this I don't even know how many years ago now, probably six. His name's Steve Backlund, and he says this. Every area of your life, the tissue's coming my way, I see it. 
There's a supply chain right down that line. I thought it was a holy hanky, you know? Now I'm just snotting down my face up here. Every area of your life that does not abound in hope is evidence that you're believing a lie. Every area of your life that does not abound in hope, when you think about it, is evidence that you're believing a lie. Right? God came to give you life and life abundantly. The enemy came to still kill and destroy your life. So every area of your life that doesn't abound in hope is evidence that you're not believing the truth that God is speaking. The battle is in the mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, you know, we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's the goal here. We want our minds to feast on the truth of what God is saying because everything God's saying abounds with goodness. He, he's not a killjoy. He's not trying to steal from us. He's not trying to, he's trying to guide us into fulfillment. He literally designed us and he knows how to fulfill us in every single way. So the battle is in the mind that we have to start feasting in our mind upon the truth, right? My level of hope is determined on what I put my faith in, what I am believing, right? And I'm just gonna give you like, I, there was three lies that I felt the Lord wanted me to, to kind of speak to here with some assumptions built underneath them. And I, I wanted to throw these out as examples of what I believe happens because there's a there's a there's a there's a you know a, a mysterious component of what takes place as we worship God through this appointment, but there's also a very practical component, which is things that you believed, thought patterns actually get exposed and broken in this place because they don't stand up to the disappointment. Does this make sense? So I have to usually let go of mental arguments that are attached to my disappointment for me to be able to worship God. All right, so I'm just going to give you a few, and then this will hopefully spark you on your own journey. All right, and, you know, I, I kind of want this to be, like, comical, because, like, if, if we're Christians and we, like, you know, vertical faith people, like, we believe God is who he says he is, these things I'm going to say are going to, like, sound and feel true to some of you, but it's actually, like, really funny if you think about it. <laughs> okay. I got a few awkward laughs, so you'll see what I mean, okay? So here's the, here's the first lie. Uh, my marriage will never be restored. It will always be dysfunctional. That's funny. No, like that's seriously ridiculous to believe if like we're, we believe that God is who he says he is, right? Because God designed marriage. He's a relational genius. He lives inside of us. That's what Christians believe, so... Anytime you say, I'm not weird, yeah, you are. You think God lives inside of you, okay? All Christians are kind of weird. We just have to embrace that. We believe God lives inside of us, and he speaks to us daily. All right, he says nothing is impossible. He's a miracle worker. He brings beauty from ashes, and besides the fact there's millions of testimonies of marriages being restored, All right? So th th these are some assumptions. So assumptions, this is, if, if, if my marriage will never be restored, this is what you're actually saying to God, <laughs> my marriage is so broken, not even God can save it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right, this one, this, I know this will get some, some chuckles. My spouse is beyond redemption. Not even God's grace and Jesus' blood is powerful enough to save them. Like, okay, from, to, the, to, to people that aren't Christians, this isn't funny. But to people who say they're believers, that should be, like, funny, right? God only heals a select chosen few marriages. Mine is not one of them. 
just, you know, you can feel that nervous laugh. You know, if you're laughing too hard, it's like, uh, <laughs> we know what that means. You know, I'm just joking. All right, like, moving on. Here, here's another one. That's enough marriage advice for me. <laughs> okay, this is the next lie. I'm insignificant, and I'm destined to a life of mediocrity and unfulfillment. A lot of Christians believe that. All right, so here's some assumptions. God only ordains some people with great callings. I'm not one of those people. God has no plan to fulfill the desires that he placed in my heart. <laughs> okay. When Jesus said, you will do greater things than me, he did not have me in mind. I think that's good enough. You get the point. And then here, here's one more. Uh, I or we will always live in financial struggle. And here's some assumptions. God's peace is meant for all areas of my life except my finances. Though God paid the eternal debt of my sin through Jesus' blood, my financial debt would be far too great a thing to ask of him. <laughs> Okay, like, yeah, I think that's funny. Though God says he's our provider, he's actually terrible at it. Okay, so you get the point here, right? Some of these things may strike a chord with you, and that is evidence that, that is, there, there's belief built around this. There's actually faith built around these truths, and these truths are actually derived from disappointment. They are not derived from who God says he is, right? So vertical faith actually, found it, right, it is a foundation of, uh, that will then produce the hope of heaven. And the hope of heaven actually protects our heart so that we can veer into horizontal faith. I can believe God for the miracle, for the breakthrough, for the specific outcome, for the kingdom to come in these ways of my life. And when it doesn't happen, which will, there's disappointment in life. I'm going to be lying to you if I say you're not going to have disappointment. No, you will, but you have the safety to fall back to is, no, I still live in hope. Because this is what it is. Faith, like horizontal faith says, I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket. Right? That is what's going to happen. Right? Hope is one step back, and it's this guard that says, yeah. And even if that doesn't happen, God has a million baskets with a million eggs that he could put in it. Does that make sense? Right? So it's like, Vertical faith produces the hope of God that is, that, that is an anchor for the soul so that I can step out and actually express faith of his kingdom coming in this now but not yet reality. Right? And this is real life. You know, like healing is something that when I, when I heard that God is bringing physical healing, I wanted to see it for myself. And I went on a journey saying, okay, like God, I want to hear. I want to see other people where it's doing it. And then it was awakened in me. You know, and the first real miracle I ever saw was my own brother in front of my own father, who's a surgeon. And my brother snapped his wrist, and it was about the size of a balloon. And literally, in a moment, in, in, my dad was in the bedroom. My stepmother's a nurse practitioner. They were, you know, his, his wrist was completely restored, complete mobility. My dad was jumping up and down like a little giddy boy saying, God just did a miracle. God just did a miracle, you know? 
I'm not kidding you. I don't think I've ever seen my dad so happy in my whole life, you know. And, uh, you know, everything he was trained to believe is that that does not happen. I saw it happen with my own eyes. I've seen it happen hundreds of times since, truly. But what I always tell people is I had no idea of the depth of disappointment that I was going to experience at the same time. The disappointment and the unknowing of while I'll see the one person get a miracle that will change their life and the next person doesn't. Right, you can, that disappointment can take root. That disappointment can change you. That disappointment can skew you. You know, I didn't know that being a pastor, I didn't know how much pain there was involved in it. I didn't know how much, how much you know, tension and brokenness and messes and all the things. I had no idea the depth of disappointment that I would experience as a pastor leading people. I had no idea. There are so many things that are coming against us. Disappointment is a daily reality if we have the hope of heaven within us, because the hope of heaven says God is believing for so much more for this world, right? So disappointment will be a daily lived reality, which is why we must be people that are rooted and grounded in this vertical worship that I know who God is. And even in the disappointment, nothing will keep me from worshiping, from praising, from declaring, from exalting your name, from magnifying you in the midst of the process, in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of all the crap that I'm having to see. I won't get disillusioned because my faith is in you before it is in all these things coming here. Amen? Amen. So that's the hope of heaven. And I want to just, we're going to close uh, just with a space. I, I, I want to pray that God would fill us with hope. And, and I'm going to have the, the worship team come up and we're going to sing this song uh, just one more time, which is that great are you, Lord. And I believe that some of you tonight, you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, like I'm either in disappointment right now or as I'm preaching, there's like past disappointments, places of your life, pain points that are actually coming up. And I just believe that tonight can be a night where God is inviting you to worship him in the midst of that place. And that God actually wants to rewrite the narrative. He wants to rewrite stories, right? We have our perspective on disappointments. And we can't see God's goodness from our perspective often. But it's as we worship him that he gives us his perspective and he rewrites the narrative and he rewrites the story. And my mom said this through all the, the sufferings that I've watched her endure. She always say, if it's, not the, if it's not good, it's not the end. If it's not good, it's not the end. You just gotta keep going because God will always turn it to good and that's how you know he's brought you to the end of the story. It's when he's made it good. He turns all things to the good of those who love him. So we're gonna worship tonight and I'm just gonna invite uh, for some of you that say, okay, I, I, I experienced, there's been, a, there's been a camping out and heart sickness and hope deferred and negativity that, that I, I see and you still don't know. You might not feel it. You might not feel good, but there's something in you that's awakening and saying, I want to worship God. I'm actually going to invite you. Um, I'm going to have you all stand up and pray. Um, but as I close prayer, I'm going to invite anybody that's saying, I need a breakthrough tonight to actually come forward and just worship. That's all we're going to do. And the prayer team's going to just lay hands as we're worshiping. We're going to sing this song, Great Are You, Lord. Great Are You, Lord, is a declaration of vertical faith in the midst of the journey. So, Father God, I thank you for hope. I just invite you and just open your hands like you're receiving a present. God, we thank you that hope is a gift. And we just ask God that hope will arise in this place tonight. God, for those that are in, in the midst of disappointment, God, who, or who have not fully uh, broken through disappointment of the past, God, I thank you that tonight is a night for freedom. God, that tonight is a night for hope to arise. And God, I just pray that as we sing these words, God, from a deeper place, from, from not from our head, but from a deep conviction within us that you are great 
even in the midst of what doesn't feel great and what doesn't look great, you are who you say you are. And as we worship you for who you are, you are exceedingly faithful to do again and again what you say you will do. And what you do is you heal us of our brokenness. You, 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 you alleviate our insecurities and insignificance. You fill us with purpose. You restore our broken hearts. You make us new again, God. You, you fulfill us and satisfies us in ways that we did not even know we could be satisfied. God, so we just want to worship you tonight, God, and let hope, just let the hope of heaven come and possess us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name.